Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to today's Signpost webinar. And today we're going to be talking uh, to uh, a representative from Dawn Meats and uh, talking about their sustainability strategy, Plan for Zero. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jill Higgins, who is a sustainability director at Dawn Meats. Good morning, Jill. You're very welcome. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning, Andy. And hello, everyone. Jill, um, you're uh, three years in this role with Dawn Meats. Maybe could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there? And uh, I know you're going to probably go into that in full detail in the presentation itself, but maybe just a little bit of background on yourself. Sure, no bother. So I've been with Dawn Meats um, for about three years and two months at this stage. So I joined in September 2019 um, as head of sustainability and I've had the, the privilege of being promoted to director in recent times. So I'm very happy. So sustainability, as everyone knows, very, very broad topic. So I cover all aspects from social, environmental to economic across the business and engage with our suppliers and also with our customers. So a huge big part of the role would be engaging with the customer with customers and working to deliver against our shared goals. So it's every facet of sustainability you can imagine. But my big, big focus would be climate and emissions and bringing those down. So, yeah, before that, then my background was I did the Origin Green Ambassador Masters. Um, so that's the one that's organized by Board Bia. And I had the great privilege of working with McDonald's global sustainability team for about 10 months and um, McDon- oh, sorry, M&S's Plan A team in London as well. So they were fantastic placements, to be honest, as a student. But before that, I spent about 10 years working in corporate banking and finance in Ireland. Um, and before that, then I did a maths degree in, in Trinity. Jill, we'll hand over to you for the presentation and uh, we'll take questions afterwards. Jill, over to you. Firstly, again, good morning, everyone. So today I'm going to just give you um, an overview of Dawn Meat's new sustainability strategy. It's called Plan for Zero, and we're going to be launching publicly very shortly. Before I jump into it, I'll give you a quick overview of our company. So we're known as Dawn Meats Group, and we have um, about 29 sites across the world. Um, today's pre- for today's presentation, I'll focus in on Dawn Meats Ireland, who are the, the, the first company, if you like, established in Waterford in 1980 as a family-owned business. So we, we have about 40,000 farmer suppliers across the UK and Ireland, from which we process, uh, source and process about 1 million cattle and 3 million sheep every year. And we convert the, um, we, we then produce about 350,000 tonnes of meat products, which we export to around 50 markets around the world. And our, um, in fact, Dawn Meats Ireland export 84% of our products. So our customer base would be retailers, so the major retailers in the UK as well. So, for example, the likes of Sainsbury's, Tesco, the Co-op, et cetera, just to name a few. Um, we'd also supply big food service companies and restaurants such as McDonald's. And um, just to give you an idea, um, there are many other customers. So uh, we'll give you uh, a, good, a good indication of the scale of our business. Um, we have about 7,000 employees and our turnover is about 2 billion. So... Uh, this is our sustainability executive and our sustainability team. So our executive is chaired by our CEO and it's made up of seven directors from across the business, including myself, two commercial directors, HR, operations, food safety and quality and engineering, as well as our head of marketing. 
You can also see a very uh, a quick snapshot of our sustainability team. So there are about 40 members of the sustainability team working across the business. And these will be subject matter experts in their various areas from agriculture to um, procurement to um, ethical trade, et cetera, finance, you know, just to name again, to name a few of them. So the team work together cross-functionally on various sustainability projects and they implement them. Um, on this, the, the role of the executive would be a strategy development review, making sure that it's fit for purpose and also then monitoring progress against all of our targets. So to take a, a look at a, a quick snapshot of Plan for Zero. So um, as, as a business, our purpose is to provide consistent quality meat products from sustainable sources to support our rural communities, human health and nature's ecosystem. Our plan is governed by three values. It's about having the right measurement. So in other words, what gets measured gets managed is one of the mottos that we use as many people do within the sector. And um, it's about using data and science when setting targets and making decisions. And that then leads directly into scaling up the right solutions that are going to deliver long-term sustainability. And then taking a balanced approach is really, really important. So you're bringing supply chain, employees, colleagues, peers and customers with you on the journey. And then plan four zero. So four being four ambitions to get to net zero. So they focus on the environment, farming, food and society. The environment being to protect and restore nature and biodiversity, support the development of a circular economy powered by renewable energy. Farming, while, while we've made great strides in Ireland um, in terms of sustainable production, we do have more, we, we do have uh, further to go and it's all about continuous improvement. So we um, we work to inspire more of the adoption of more sustainable farming methods, for example, better animal health and welfare, all of which then will enhance meat quality. Our food ambition, again, focuses on producing delicious, nourishing food in support of human health and welfare and uh, sorry human health and well-being I should say and then finally our society ambition is all about inclusive you know, like diversity and inclusion ethical trade human rights and supporting our communities again all through the transition to net zero so taking a quick look at our headline targets so um, as a business, we had our science-based targets or climate targets approved back in 2019, and we were one of the first, if not the first, European beef and lamb processor to do so. So we chose 2016 as our baseline year, and we found to measure our full supply chain emissions, and we found that 70% of our total emissions came from sourcing live cattle and sheep from the UK and from Ireland. And we found that 1% related to our operational emissions. So these are known as scope one and scope two emissions. So this is, these are emissions related to powering our sites. 1% related to packaging and upstream and downstream logistics combined. And then 24% um, related to investments that we have overseas that we don't have operational control over. And then that last 4%, which is very, very difficult to quantify, relates to what happens downstream in the supply chain. So, for example, what the consumer does with our product in the home. Um, so, in other words, how it's cooked, how it's disposed of, etc., how the packaging is disposed of. So, when we set our targets, um, we chose 2030 as the target year. 
And we said that we will reduce operational emissions, that's scope one and two combined, by 59% by 2030. And that aligns with 1.5 degree pathway or a net zero trajectory. Um, and our supply chain target or scope three target is an emissions intensity reduction of 28%. And that's emissions from farming uh, divided by tons of finished product. So when we um, we, what we're what we're doing now is we're increasing the ambition of our of our climate targets. So we're going for net zero operational emissions across our sites by 2040 and our supply chain target, which I should have said aligns with two degrees. We will increase the ambition of this to align with 1.5 degrees of warming. And again, that will put us on a net zero trajectory, which we will hope to get to as soon as possible. So again, supply chain emissions, they're outside of our direct control and reaching, reaching net zero will require collaboration across sectors and industries. But our priority is these operational and farming emissions and to help us deliver this plan, we're investing an initial 100 million euro in plan for zero. So let's take a closer look at what we're doing again, to, to deliver this, um, this operational emissions target. <clears throat> so progress so far, by the end of 21, we've actually reduced our emissions by 40%. So we're well on our way to achieving our science-based target by 2030. So on the left-hand side of the graph, you can see the percentage breakdown of the sources of our scope one and two emissions. So about 54% related to uh, sourcing electricity to power our sites. And since 2019, we've been doing that using renewable electricity. We, we, we do this by purchasing it from the grid. And we're also in the process of looking at on-site renewable generation as well. Renewable energy generation, I should say. Um, the next uh, part of our scope on emissions related to F gases from our refrigeration systems. So F gases being very, very strong or potent greenhouse gas emissions. So we're in the process of upgrading our refrigeration systems to net zero uh, refrigeration systems, for example, using ammonia gas within the system. And we'll have all of that done by 2030. We are also converting our own fleet of vehicles to electric vehicles. Um, and the, the last remaining section would be emissions from uh, thermal energy generation. So, for example, we would burn fuels on our sites to heat water um, and we are reducing those emissions. In the short term, we're moving to lower emission fossil fuels um, and we're making our upgrading our boiler equipment to make it more efficient. Then we're also seeking to we're also um, electrifying the process. So we'll be we'll be using electricity to power the thermal energy generation systems. And again, that would be renewable electricity. And we're also introducing uh, renewable sources of heat recovery, such as heat pumps across our sites. So beyond 2030, um, the majority of the remaining emissions will relate to thermal energy generation. And we have a plan in place to drive them down as close to zero as possible by around 2035. At which point in time, we'll have a certain portion of residual emissions. So these are um, unavoidable emissions that remain after all actions have been taken to bring emissions as close to zero as possible. And then what's preferred then to, if you like, offset those emissions would be verifiable high quality offsets. So at the moment, um, the offset market is somewhat unregulated. It's voluntary. So we're watching, we're like we're talking to players in this space and key partners to see to, to see how it's evolving. But we um, based on the discussions we've had so far, it looks like offsetting using these verifiable high quality offsets, these verifiable high quality certificates, if you like, or credits will be possible from around 2040. Um, so let's take a closer look at our environment ambition. 
Um, so as well as reducing greenhouse gas emissions across our sites, the environment ambition focuses on water, energy, packaging, waste and biodiversity. So look, regarding water and energy um, across our sites, our approach is to measure consumption, identify opportunities for optimization, set targets and then closely monitor progress. All of our production sites are certified for environmental and energy management. So that's ISO 14001 and 50001. Um, and real-time performance across our sites is observed through um, an energy management system, which is bespoke to our organization. And we have metering in place um, on all of the main users of water, electricity and fuel. So water obviously is critically important for food processing, where it's primarily used for sterilization, washing and general hygiene. Um, and as part of our production process, water is, is accessed through wells on our sites, um, also via pub public water supply and, all, and then by harvesting rainwater as well. So as a business, we continuously optimise the efficient use of water through ongoing investment in technology. Um, and as we move forward, um, our production sites will continue to be evaluated against a variety of initiatives, for example, rainwater harvesting and grey water reuse or wastewater reuse. Um, and suitable uh, sustainability projects will be rolled out by 2030. As a business, we've continuously reduced water usage intensity year on year and will continue to do so. Uh, looking at energy, moving to low and zero emission sources of energy is absolutely crucial um, to achieve a net zero economy. And as I've mentioned, 100% renewable electricity is used to power a range of activities at our facilities. That would include powering refrigeration systems, wastewater treatment, mechanical services, water pumping, processing equipment, and general services such as lighting, etc. Um, in relation to waste, um, we're constantly looking at, way, at ways to reduce all forms of waste across the business. And we do this by adopting a lean approach. And we've been a zero waste to landfill business since around 2016. So what happens with our waste? Well, we recycle or recover all packaging, scrap metal, uh, dry mixed recyclables, electrical components, construction waste, waste oil, again, just to name a few. And then general waste is recovered through incineration as refuse derived fuel. As a business, we have a target to increase the volume of waste recycled, reused and recovered, excluding this RDF, um, up to 60% by 2030. Um, really, really critical to achieving our water, energy and waste targets is employee engagement. So we work with employees and, you know, we engage with them and educate them on how their actions impact water performance. Um, and we have we've instilled a culture of accountability across our sites. So there's lots of awareness campaigns which are regularly arranged. Um, and we um, we'd also have involved like the how we can, you know, we, do, we, we talk to our employees about our targets and how their actions will help us achieve our targets on a site by site basis. And that's done via toolbox talks, pit meetings and then direct reviews as well. And obviously we have an annual environmental week. So looking at packaging next. So. Packaging, very, very topical, extraordinarily important. Um, plastic itself, um, as I'd like to say, is a very, very valuable material. Um, obviously, there are a lot, of, a lot of challenges in how it's collected and disposed of around the world, but we can't lose sight of the fact that it's a very, very valuable material. 
And packaging is essential for safely transporting our products while maintaining quality and reducing food waste. So again, packaging is so important when it comes to keeping food waste to a minimum, food waste accounting for about 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So we as a business are working to increase the recyclability and the recycle content of our packaging while reducing and eliminating any unnecessary volumes. Just a moment. So um, we, so far we've developed um, a fully recyclable tray, so plastic tray for our retail meat products, um, which has been rolled out. Um, and this is made from, I should say that the, the plastic tray over time plastic has been has evolved to be made from many many different types of polymers or material so our plastic tray is made from a very simple or mono structure as it's known which makes it easier to recycle so in other words you you remove complexities from the packaging which makes it easier itself to recycle and that's a key step in the development of a circular economy for plastic packaging um, flexible materials, however, such as shrink bags and films are laminate structures and they're made of multiple plastic types. Um, and these because of these multiple plastic types, it gives them these unique characteristics such as puncture resistance and then protective barrier properties and excellent sealing qualities. So these are a bigger challenge to um, uh, simplify in terms of structure and make them easier to recycle. But we are exploring a lot of solutions through sustainable packaging projects with organizations such as say for example meat technology ireland um virgin so making uh, making virgin plastic material um uh, requires the use of something called hydrocarbon technology and this is the process which involves quite a, a high release of greenhouse gas emissions so it's really really important to use recycled materials where, wherever possible so plastic bottles are the primary source of the recycled material which we use in our trays and our rigid plastic trays can have a recycled content of up to 90%, which is something we're very proud of. However, material availability for this recycled, uh, recycled content is going to increasingly become a challenge and that's due to European legislation which now requires a recycle content for bottle manufacturers and industrial consumers of at least a 30% stated minimum so competition for the, this material is increasing rapidly. Um, we also look at um, um, packaging supply chains to identify opportunities for plastic reduction and you know it's 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 quite complex in terms of um engineering projects and innovative tray redesigns which we engage our our packaging suppliers on and since 2019 we've actually um achieved a reduction of about 14 percent in plastic in our retail supply chains um, and then lastly our paper packaging is primarily corrugated corrugated board solid board and carton board and uh, the majority of it is FSE certified um, and we have a target to reach 100% of all of our cardboard packaging by 2025. Um, okay so the last part of our environment ambition um, relates to biodiversity at our sites and in our communities um, we um, as due to the location of our sites and um, the scope for biodiversity, the, the scope for uh, biodiversity projects varies, and we regularly engage with environmental scientists and specialists in ecology to help us assess potential for improvement. 
So to date, around our sites, we've installed beehives, planted trees and permitted areas to go wild. And this year we engaged an ecologist to um, undertake a, a, a new assessment and we have new site biodiversity action plans, which we're currently reviewing and initiatives will be adopted from late 2022 or early 2023. We also engage within the community and we support organisations such as Tidy Towns and local schools on educational projects such as planting you know, wildflower areas, building bug hotels and also the importance of pollinators. Within the supply chain, we support the Hen Harrier project. Um, so this is to help farmers enhance the value of the ecosystem services of their land. The project, the Hen Harrier project, does this by rewarding farmers for the quality of the habitats on their farm while co-investing to improve and manage these habitats. So if you'd like more information on the Hen Harrier project, there's a website, full website available and it's a really, really great project. I'd urge you to look at it. Um, so next then, let's have a look at what we're doing within the supply chain on our emissions. So again, our, our target is an emissions intensity target it being to reduce emissions from, from life from farming. So the, the livestock sourcing the live cattle and sheep, and then also then to um, produce more finished products. So to, to, to derive more from our inputs, this will all help us. This will all help towards achieving our science-based target, which is um, a 28% reduction by 2030. And so far we've achieved a 15% reduction. So again, we're well on our way to achieving this target. Um, slide. So really, really important um, is to link supply chain data. So at the moment, organizations, so for example, processors like ourselves and our customers are calculating our greenhouse gas emissions and supply chain emissions using different sources of information and using, say, different conversion factors known as emissions factors. So um, a, a big challenge is to uh, adopt a consistent approach to emissions accounting across the supply chain so that the entire supply chain is working off the same baseline data and the targets are aligned and that um, any achievements in reducing emissions within the supply chain is all passed along and shared uh, across the across the supply chain. So we have a project to link this data, establish a consistent approach to accounting, which will allow Dawn and our customers to demonstrate progress against our shared climate targets. So looking at the Dawn Ireland supply chain, we're, we have obviously fantastic initiatives going on with Borbia, where they carbon footprint. I think 96% of all beef produced and 60% of all lamb produced in Ireland has a credible carbon footprint attached to it. And feedback reports are given to farmers on actions they can take to reduce emissions. And as you can see from the slide there, it's a, an extract from the Origin Green report that there's been a, a steady decline in the average carbon footprint of Irish beef over the years. It's a fantastic story to be able to tell on an international stage. So what we're doing, say, with the Dawn Ireland data and with the, our, our farming emissions data is we're building a product carbon footprinting model for our meat categories. So this will include the emissions and the data from farms, as well as emissions from our sites, our packaging and other aspects of the supply chain. And we will be able to share these product category emissions factors or product category carbon footprints with our customers because we're working with the Carbon Trust to verify the methodology to allow us and our customers to report to a recognized standard. So these emissions factors will be shared along our supply chain and they, we will be recalculating them every year as suppliers continue to take action to reduce emissions and as scope three accounting itself continues to evolve. So we're all capturing the benefits along the supply chain. 
So I, I won't dwell on it now, but scope three accounting, it's that it's still developing, it's still evolving. We've an awful long way to go with it still. And there's a couple of um, projects that we're actively trialing ourselves as a business and accounting standards that we're actively trialing. One of them is the greenhouse gas uh, protocol, land sector and removals guidance. So this new guidance will allow organisations to account for emissions from, say, things like uh, emissions, say, stored in soil trees, hedgerows, etc., in land use and land use change. So emissions and removals from land use and land use change, I should say. We're also looking at different ways of allocating emissions across different product categories. For example, you know, do you use, uh, you know, how do you how do you allocate emissions to dairy versus versus um, meat, as an example, if you've got animals coming from the dairy yard? And then also things like allocation, do you use mass e allocation or economic allocation? So, for example, if you use economic allocation, you're basically say the the it's the the say the price of different cuts of meat, as an example, would the emissions assigned to different cuts of meat would be based on their economic value um, rather than the mass of the, the mass value of the mass they've come from the carcass. OK, so looking then at our farming ambition. Um, it's known as Farm Green, and this is um, this is our strategy for engaging with suppliers to reduce emissions and promote the transition to more sustainable practices. So our plan focuses on eight core aspects of sustainable livestock production, including climate, biodiversity, uh, soil, water, um, genetics, nutrition, health and welfare, and meat quality. So again, soil being the foundation of it all. If you have healthy soil very fertile it improves the soil's ability to store carbon and obviously then better grass quality um, i won't go into all of them in great detail but suffice to say in summary grassland management is absolutely fundamental um, the genetic there's so many opportunities available via gen genetics with animals so for example if we can produce we can like a lot of research from chagas has shown as we know that you can produce animals say coming from the dairy herd which will also be very very suitable for beef production and that you can you can breed animals that will mature at an earlier age um again massively um reducing its lifetime emissions and then also animals that can actually you know um, reduce the methane production through um, through enteric fermentation. So all of that's very, very possible through genetic engineering. Sorry, sorry, through genetics. So um, in Ireland, we have um, two demonstration farms, um, which are part of the signpost program. Um, they're known as Newford and Ballyvaden. So Newford was established in 2015 in Athen Rye in County Galway to showcase best practice in sustainable suckler beef production. The farm operates on a full commercial basis and the herd consists of 100 Angus uh, and Hereford cross freezing cows. Um, and they, um, they differ from the typical suckler herd. They're bred for uh, their docility, their fertility traits and their uh, first calving at 24 months. And I'd like to share some of the progress which Newford has made against some of its objectives, um, one of which was to promote best practice, sorry, best in class and um, technical efficiencies. So variable costs as a percentage of total output at Newford reduced from 74% in 2015 to 58% in 2021. And that was due to significant, significant improvements in animal health and lower veterinary expenses. Um, in the first half of 2022, 
age at slaughter was reduced to 17.7 months for heifers um, um, at a carcass weight of 290 kilograms. And all of these were grass fed or 100% grass fed. Um, last year, a 358 day calving interval was achieved. And that was supported by the adoption of new technologies and heat detection um, with 0.99 cows produced per cow. And then 98% of the cows were calved without veterinary assistance. Um, a 10-week calving uh, spread was achieved, again, due to the adoption of 100% AI, uh, using straws carefully selected to achieve the right balance between calving ease and good carcass growth. And then lastly, um, the farm has a high stocking rate of 2.7 livestock units per hectare. And in 2021, an average of 280, 280 days of grass was achieved as compared to the six-year average in Ireland of 233 days. So this, re uh, this resulted in a reduction in concentrated feed requirements, housing and straw usage. So moving forward, Newford will continue to promote um, an environmentally sustainable model um, and um, the, for the adoption of subtler beef production. Um, in 2022, um, we partnered with Chagask and Shinna Estates to establish a dairy uh, calf uh, to beef demonstration farm in Ballyvaden in County Tipperary. Um, and this is building on the learnings um, from multiple calf to beef projects undertaken between Chagask and Don Meats since 2008. So the farm itself consists of 112 acres um, of, gra of uh, grazing uh, infrastructure. And the proposal is to establish a, um, a dairy calf to beef unit to take all the calves from recognised sires to a finished uh, uh, beef animal. So over a seven year period, it'll produce a, blu a blueprint for profitable dairy beef production systems based on technologies and practices which will improve uh, grassland quality and utilisation, reduce nutrient losses and emissions, enhance farm biodiversity and animal health and welfare. And in the background, the farm will also promote the use of sexed semen for replacements in the dairy herd and for the dairy farm to produce um, um, a BDI approved sires. Um, sorry, DBI, Bruce Sires. So as we move forward, both Newford and Ballybaden will work to uh, re further reduce um, the finishing age and maintain market specification weights within a range of 280 to 360 kilograms, um, exceeding the national um, average calving interval of 395 days to achieve um, an eight to 10 week calving spread um, using the maximum amount of grass. So, um, and I should say the last thing on our farming ambition, a big, big aspect of it is knowledge sharing initiatives. So we engage with the wider supply base via uh, case studies, webinars, our demonstration farms and various other innovation farming projects. So moving now to our third ambition, which is food. Um, this ambition outlines our actions to reduce food waste and optimise product quality and shelf life. So as a business, over 80% of our finished product is pure meat um, sourced from Ireland and the UK, where grassland accounts for the vast, vast majority of agricultural land. And we have a very, it's a very, very positive story, which Ireland can tell. It's about, you know, our livestock convert grass into a highly nutritious, naturally produced protein rich in essential vitamins and minerals. Um, so we actively promote and raise awareness of the important role that red meat plays and the valuable contribution that red meat plays to human nutrition as part of a balanced diet throughout our lifetime. 
Um, and we follow the highest standards of food safety um, and we're working on a number of innovative storage technologies to ensure consistent quality meat, maximise product shelf life and reduce food waste. So, for example, we would work with our, our customers to address food waste in the home. So, for example, we would improve um, on-pack uh, home storage instructions, such as simple things like changing free um, freezing guidance from day at purchase to um, best to on the use by date and increasing the frozen storage times from one month to three months. So um, a lot of consumer research has been, which has been undertaken in the last years shows that making small changes like this actually has a huge impact on reducing food waste in the home. Um, and as a business then we continue to donate meals to frontline workers, people in need and community groups. Um, we are always looking at um, ways to add value and minimize waste um, from the livestock that we process. So food waste within our own production um, as a percentage of finished product is consistently below 100%. Um, so when it comes to resource optimization and lean manufacturing, um, we're all about creating circular business models which um, enhance carcass utilization and yield. So by adopting a lean continuous improvement approach, uh, we are creating um, an efficient enterprise which sustains growth by achieving customer and employee um, uh, satisfaction. So it's about optimizing cost, delivering profitability, um, aligning the livestock supply chain with production requirements. Um, and minimizing environmental impact. So um, it's about producing consistent quality product um, um, and you know, eliminating waste within the production process. So the goal of improved carcass utilization um, is a consistent focus. Um, and we partnered with a company called um, Elemental, a UK-based um, agri-food company. And we're, bringing, we're installing a stock process plant um, which will recover up to 15% more human edible products um, for every animal that we process. Using their new technology, it'll allow us to extract um, high quality proteins and fats, which would otherwise be lost from the human, the human food chain. So these additional food extracts will help to produce fully traceable, sustainable, authentic food ingredients that can be used in a variety of products, for example, ready meals, gravy and soup. And by creating these new products um, and installing this technology, it's expected to deliver about 20% of our annual scope one emissions target between 2022 and 2030. Um, so lastly, um, our society ambition outlines our actions to um, maintain an inclusive workplace for our people and develop and retain the talent we need um, to help us adjust and innovate as we support communities through the transition to net zero. So um, we work to build and maintain an inclusive workplace for our team of about 40 nationalities. And we have an award-winning diversity and inclusion plan in place, which governs our recruitment and talent development, um, managing work, the workplace environment, employee engagement, retention and health and well-being. And we'll continue to develop and retain the talent that we need to help us mitigate risks and leverage opportunities associated with climate change. Um, we work to protect human rights in our supply chains and operations, and we're guided, all of our policies and actions are guided by the Ethical Trade Initiative base code. As a company, we're members of SEDEX and all of our sites undergo SMETA um, and or workplace, supplier workplace accountability audits. So, you know, 
people, it's so, so important, people are the cause and effect of the change needed to reach net zero. So as a company, we sponsor education and science and we encourage innovation and sustainability. Um, we also then facilitate. So, for example, some of the organisations we would engage with will be the likes of Junior Achievement Ireland and we would support SciFest. So a lot of, you know, um, we're very, very motivated and keen to support STEM projects. Um, so... Um, we also then support, as I've mentioned earlier, our farming community via knowledge sharing initiatives. Um, we encourage all employees to get involved in volunteering and fundraising. Um, and our goal is to have a positive impact on the communities where we operate, source from and where our employees live. So we provide a lot of financial and resource assistance to non-profit non organisations and encourage employees to get involved wherever possible. So I'm almost at the end. This is my second last slide. So I'd, I'll, I'll conclude by saying um, it's really important to monitor progress against our targets so that we know we're delivering plan for zero. So we invite third party oversight and external verification of our business policy, practice and performance to provide extra confidence to our stakeholders. So, for example, we disclose annually to CDP. Uh, the climate change and forests questionnaires. So CTP is the leading global body for the disclosure of emissions and actions to reduce them. So we're proud to say that we're among the A-list companies um, uh, um, disclosing to CDP. So that's one of 200 companies around the world out of about 13,000 to disclose. Um, then in line with best practice, we calculate our greenhouse gas emissions, known as our emissions inventory, but we also have it independently verified by the Carbon Trust. So it's like having your financial statements independently verified by your accountants and auditors. And then we've linked um, our, so we have sustainability linked loans. So the interest rate on our, our revolving credit facility is linked to achieving our science-based targets and improving our CDP score or maintaining our CDP score. We're also adopting the task force and climate related financial disclosure guidelines. So at the moment, we're going through the process of undertaking a risks and opportunities assessment of the impact of climate change on our business, including the financial impact. And we're conducting a scenario analysis of what, will ha what could happen to our business and supply, and supply chains if the world heats by 1.5 degrees and if the world heats by 4 degrees. Um, we're gold members of Origin Green in Ireland. And we're an EcoVadis um, silver rated company. So EcoVadis, again, is a, an international sustainability rating agency. And the scoring methodology is based on standards aligned with the Global Reporting Initiative, the United Nations Global Compact and ISO at, uh, 2000, uh, sorry, 26,000. Um, so we're lastly, then we're signatures to the EU Code of Conduct for Responsible Business and Marketing Practices. So in conclusion, um, very important again to say that the Irish food sector is a world leader in sustainability and much work has already been done. However, it is, it is vitally important that we continue to make improvements to maintain this leadership position. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Jill. Thank you for an excellent presentation. Um, really good work going on there, obviously, in Dawn to, to try and reduce the, the carbon footprint and, and the, the water footprint as well, because I know it looked at the pressure is on now, isn't it, to, to hit these targets? And it's quite, uh, I suppose it's poignant that we are on the last day of uh, COP27 today. Um, things are wrapping up there after another round of, of discussions and, and uh, trying to, to get agreement on, on countries uh, in the Western part of the world uh, to, to try and uh, fund uh, this, this uh, change that's happening. And 
I guess a, a lot of the uh, the narrative now is that we do need transformational change in our society in order to address the, the, the this targets uh, of, of reducing emissions in well in Ireland by fifty percent by twenty thirty. Um, and I just my question is around the uh, focus on emissions intensity uh, versus the overall emissions, uh, because ultimately what we're measured in Ireland uh, is uh, total emissions. Yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering how the work that you're doing there will contribute to to that total emission uh, um, target that that has been assigned that 25% reduction uh, that we have to hit by 2030. So, Obviously, absolutely, it's, it's about reducing absolute emissions when it comes to our national legal um, requirement. So as you um, so as you work with as we work with our suppliers to implement, say, the measures outlined in the Chagas Gmach, um, that is that is literally what we're doing. And by implementing the, me- the measures in the Chagas Mac, you're helping to bring down farm level emissions so and that's what it's all about and then like as, as I mentioned throughout the presentation or within the presentation genetics so important and a lot of the work that Chagas has done huge huge gains are going to be made in terms of achieving that national target when it comes to the intensity metric and the intensity target that we have as an organization um you know like I said achieving that involves reducing those absolute emissions from farms. So when you look at the fraction, the top half of the fraction is about reducing the absolute emissions on farm. So that's factored into the equation. And as a, um, there's a big difference as well in terms of how uh, countries look at their <laughs> targets and how organizations look at their targets. So as obviously Ireland as a nation has um, an absolute reduction target and the emissions inventory is the, is the country border. Whereas when we look at, uh, at a business level, it's an LCA or a life cycle assessment approach where you look at emissions outside the country that you're sourcing from as well. So it's full supply chain emissions. So it's a slightly different way of, me- well, it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a different way of looking at it, but it's a very, very different way of measuring it. And something that we're looking at as a business in the background as well is work that we're doing in Ireland as well as outside of Ireland, how the carbon footprinting um, and improvements on farms and the data that's captured in those calculators, how that can actually feed back into the national inventory so that um, actions that are being taken on farms to reduce emissions are actually being reflected in the national inventory data as well. Great. But I can't say much more about that at this point. No, no, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, just a question in relation to, um, I, I noticed that the uh, the stocking rates mentioned there on the, the Newford farm were 2.7 livestock units per hectare. And I'm just wondering how compatible that is with the, the likes of the nitrates directive, which I understand is 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 moving towards a lower uh, intensity on a on a, a stocking rate basis. Oh, I have to say, no, you've got me there. I'd have to defer to our our agricultural team and our experts in that area. So, okay. no, that's yeah. that's that's fine. Um, but we we have lots of questions coming in, and I, I'm conscious of time is is ticking sure. on here. But um, I, Andy, I'm going to hand over to you. But I just want to say a special welcome to our our viewers this morning from Croatia and Denmark. So, uh, your your talk has obviously uh, sparked a lot of interest uh, from from across Europe as well. So, Jill, so so welcome to to our our european uh viewers andy some some excellent questions coming through yeah. there um jill yeah and a, a good few comments coming in um praising your presentation and um 
you know, I, I I appreciate as well. I mean, sometimes we we say from farm to fork, and we, and we you know we regret or I often regret saying it because it is such a broad uh, breadth of sustainability issues within that, and you've just focused on you know your end of it within the factory gate, if you like, you know. Um, so there's a lot of the questions now that are coming in. I'm going to try and bulk some of them together, but please sure. feel free to. Um, you know, defer to somebody else because some of them there's a lot, there's a good few farmers <laughs> listening in this morning or looking in. Um, but there's, there's a couple there around water quality actually. Okay. And um, you know, um, you know, are you doing anything specifically uh, to engage with farmers, suppliers to improve um, both water quality and biodiversity? Is there anything specifically there that you're involved with or um, yes. talk to farmers about? Absolutely. Just bear with me for one moment. Um, I'm sorry. I've got somebody at the door. <laughs> sorry to You're be right. rude. Can you just bear with me for one moment? And yeah, I'm one just, second. Okay. I just, okay. no bother. Yeah. So, yeah. And Mark, you, you might remind people of next week's presentation. Uh, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we have um, uh, uh, an interesting project called Forty Manure uh and uh, the focus is going to be on anaerobic di digestion so we have a speaker from Wageningen in university uh who's going to be speaking to us about um the work that they're doing yeah we've uh, Oscar Oscar Schumann's mark from Oscar Wageningen Schumann, university Oscar, uh, um yeah, and he's been there maybe in the last week with a lot of talk about anaerobic digestion um he's going to look at a couple of pilot projects at farm level um and then we have uh, from the French uh, organization Ritmo Agri Environment, um, Nicholas Tevenin. Um, and he's actually looking again. I mean, the, their, their whole Fertility Manure project is based around nutrient management, but he's looking at uh, slurry separation uh, and actually mobile slurry separation um, at farm level. Um, so there should be interesting um, topics um there's a lot of talk there's a very interesting um conference on last week on anaerobic digestion and i think part of the new climate plan will focus a good bit on aerobic digestion going forward absolutely so, yeah no that's huge but huge potential there for sure now welcome back jill You're thank back. you my apologies for that um so yeah sorry the are we guess the question was are we engaging uh with, with biodiversity our, and water yeah products, biodiversity yeah. and water so yeah sorry just to touch back on so the demonstration firms that we have in ireland absolutely so um with the particularly with the new ballyvaden farm that we've set up um one a, a portion of this farm will and a portion of newford as well will be incorporated into um high diversity landscape so um, the wildlife measures um, on intensive uh, grass, uh, grassland farms obviously play a very important role in halting the decline of biodiversity. Um, so the farm at Ballyvaden has a significant amount of natural and semi-natural habitats um, and a biodiversity plan is going to be developed to maintain and manage those existing habitats. Uh, improve the quality of existing hedgerows and then we'll also be installing a, a riparian uh, buffer strip um, along the streams and ponds that are down there uh, to avoid uh, fertilizer slurry or herbicide application as well. So we'll also then be establishing new habitats where appropriate on the farm. So in other words we'll be looking at the whole farm cordoning off areas which will be very suited to say um, the promotion of biodiversity 
on those farms and we'll be sharing that knowledge with uh, the, with the supply base um, and that will be done via webinars, social media communications and farm walks as well, farm open days. Yeah, we have a few questions coming in here in relation okay. to communicating that um, or signaling back to the farm uh, level uh, around, you know, sustainability and are, are there uh, is Dawn present uh, planning any any uh, ways of of incentivizing farmers to uh, change their behaviors or change the the systems on their farms to to improve the sustainability effectively? Sure. So and um, I can come back to the water one in a moment, so if you so wish. But um, so yeah, absolutely. So um, our agriculture and procurement team and my sustainability team, including myself, have put together a, a full communication plan in terms of um, knowledge sharing so absolutely what we what we're doing at the moment is in the past with Newford we've had farm open days and we have a website and we also have a regular newsletter that goes out to suppliers to inform them of the achievements that the farm has made and how the farm achieved those sustainability benefits we'll be doing the same with Ballyfaden and in fact we have a whole communication plan that we've um, been developing recently and we'll be launching it very shortly under the farm green banner that I've mentioned and again it's going to be a combination of suitable communication methods depending on you know to, to cater for a variety of audiences and that like I said will be farm open days it'll be case studies webinars emails newsletters um, and we have um, a new website that we're building called plan for zero to go with the launch of our sustainability strategy and all of our communications will be housed there as well um, and so that's really how we will engage with the wider supply base Obviously, we work directly with, uh, so within Ireland, we have about 22,000 farmer suppliers. So we engage with directly with a portion of them as well on some innovation farming projects. Um, have I answered, have I answered yeah. the question? Yeah, and maybe I didn't answer, ask the question uh, as, as uh, because you've answered part of the question, but sure. just in terms of price, uh, uh, there's some questions. I mean, will there be any price differential for farmers who uh, engage more in sustainable uh, farm practices? So in terms of incentivization, a lot of the, the research and development we do, we would fund that as a business ourselves and share the knowledge, uh, really, really valuable knowledge from these from this critical research. Um, when it comes to, if you like, a sustainability price premium, if that's what's being asked, um, as a business, we can only pass back to suppliers what the market will pay us as a business. Now, and for me, it's not about paying a premium price for sustainability because you don't want niche products being carved out here. It's about the transformation of the whole supply chain. So we want to work together to move the whole sector and the whole supply chain so that we have improvements on mass rather than paying, if you like, premium prices for sustainability. Okay, Maybe on that. Yeah. Sorry, Mark, uh, on that particular topic, Yvonne, it, there's a few comments come in. I think you mentioned the Hen Harrier project mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's probably acres. And going back, I can remember maybe you wanted back. We had there was a, a suggestion perhaps we should have reps beef, but our acres beef or Hen Harrier beef or and there's also one or two questions on organics or bull beef. So maybe you've answered it in your last response. But do you have any plans to you know sell beef specifically, you know, like Hen Harrier be from a particular part of the country or do you think that organic if there's a there's a vast increase in the numbers of organic farmers now 
will that you know lead to you changing your marketing for selling beef in the future um, perhaps you're dealing with organics already possibly yeah so i wouldn't say it would lead us to changing um our our, our, our like our, our product offering we'd certainly say yes we, we mean we have um or an, an organic range it's on our website so i mean if 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 the if if the market demand is there absolutely we'll work with farmers to to get the product out to meet to meet that demand and and do as much as we can to help establish and create the market for that does that answer does that answer your question yeah yeah because i expect you're 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 hopefully there is going to be more of a, a push in that direction. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be interested, Jill, on your view on the whole carbon labeling or sustainability labeling. Where, where is that headed at the moment? Or is that something Dawn is looking at? Because I know you talked about the supply chain, uh, but for the consumer and communicating the, to the consumer about the, this, the standard of the, the food and, and or whichever way it is produced, can is that is that something that you're looking at so yes we're looking at um eco labels eco scores carbon labeling so a, a challenge so far um around you know around the world is a lack of primary data to so at the moment, a lot of the eco labels that are in circulation or that have been trialed, as an example, so eco labels will include carbon, water, various other, you know, um, sustainability credentials <clears throat> measures, and they're often calculated using um, global average figures or something known as secondary data. So they're not necessarily accurate or a true reflection of what's happening. So. Um, my my personal view is more and more primary data is needed and is critical that will um, allow consumers basically that will credibly and reliably um, inform consumer decision making. <clears throat> so that's one thing. However, that lack of primary data isn't stopping eco labels from 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 arriving on our doorstep. So we are involved in various discussions at the moment and watching what's happening. So, for example, the, there's a group in the UK called IDG. Um, sorry, I, yeah, and they're actually they're they're producing a set of standards that should be followed by organisations. So it's coming out sometime this month. So they're proposing that organisations begin using global averages and generic data, and progressively over the years move towards greater volumes of primary data. Um, we don't know if it's going to be adopted in mass, but it's something that's being worked on at the moment. And um, so we're part of those discussions along with peers and customers and other supply chain parties. Then there are other groups, for example, the likes of Foundation Earth, who have trialed um, an eco label. Um, and then other individual companies have trialed various types of eco scores as well. So look, we're watching it. We're watching the space. Um, it, it is going to happen. Um, but yeah, personally, there is, like I said already, that that greater need for primary data to, in my opinion, reliably inform consumer decisions. Just there's one or two other quick fires here, um, Jill. Uh, no, you can kick the touch with some of them. But there's one uh, I say might you, you it probably make more sense to you than well to me about the central distribution center system if you have it says have you engaged with your stakeholders on the carbon emissions for this system ig animals say that are reared and slaughtered in waterford um but you know some animals then 
from I can gather from here, meat can go to distribution centres in Cork and Kildare and Monaghan, then to come back to Waterford, you know, so your own internal, does that, that obviously forms part of your stakeholder group on reducing carbon emissions as well, or would that, that something like that would be looked at? Now, I'm afraid I'm I'm at sea with the question, but you hopefully it makes sense to you. I, I'm a little at sea, but I'm I'm guessing it's to do with the 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 movements of animals, the logistics. Yes. When yes. they're being procured, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. So when we look at our own emissions uh, accounting and our inventory, we account for logistics. Um, so we'd say, yes, the animals have come from this part of, so we'd say, yeah, okay, we sourced X volume of animals from Ireland and, you know, um, within these regions in Ireland, and then therefore the estimated distance between that sourcing region and, and our site is X amount, and that's how we would calculate emissions associated. With yeah, that. but I think the, the questioner is possibly getting at maybe, do, you, do your animals go to a central distribution centre and then come back to the factory, you know? Rather than maybe going direct to a factory, though, perhaps. Yeah, know, I, yeah I, I'm not really, uh, I don't really yeah, yeah. understand I, what the yeah. question is trying well, to do. One other thing, you're talking about renewable um, generation of your own fuel. How do you, play, you're pu- currently purchasing um, renewable energy. Are you planning on creating your own renewable energy into the future on site? And what type of energy are you planning sure. on? creating or is it yeah absolutely so the energy we procure at the moment is via what's called a guarantee of origin or a renewable energy certificate so we it's from our providers our electricity providers so we are at the moment looking at on-site renewable energy generation for example installing solar panels on our roofs or surrounding land and also wind turbines okay yeah right oh great um I think there's one other you, you mentioned sustainably sustainability sustainably linked loans yes um is that you, the loans you partake yourself as the business or is, I assume those loans aren't available to farmers is you, that's not the... <laughs> I would say as a farmer contact the likes of Bravo Bank um <laughs> ah, yeah yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah yeah no so what I'd say is no so the sustainability linked I, loans I, that I'm I, and Sorry, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one final one. Do, do you have perhaps you have some do you have sustainability advisors out at ground level speaking yes. to farmers? Or, and how many do you have? Oh, how many? I don't know. But certainly our agricultural and procurement team would regularly hold talks with farmers and visit farms. They're engaging in dialogue on how farms they can reduce emissions, improve sustainability and farm efficiency yeah. and things like market specification, all that sort of stuff. All like oh, yeah. things like walk the chain. All of these things are regularly hosted by our by our agri and procurement teams. Yeah. yeah. OK, we're, we're, we're just out of time, I'm afraid. Um and uh, but just just on that uh, last piece there, I know that our our connected team are d- delivering training to uh, some of your procurement people across the the meat industry as well. So it's it's all about you know developing that greater understanding and awareness of of the challenges and the the solutions that are available as well. So it's it's great to see that happening. Yeah. Jill, thank you so much. Uh, really positive remarks coming through uh, here on the 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 Q&A around your presentation so uh thanks for that and uh really appreciate you taking the time to join us today um the, your presentation we'll we'll be uploading that onto the the website along with a recording of the uh the, today's session as well and Andy thanks so much for helping with questions as well we had a lot of interest today and as as a, you could say I don't know what you heard uh yeah, Jill, yes, we had uh, a few international uh, visitors today as well joining us. Uh, so next week, uh, we'll be joined by uh, Oscar Schumanns and Nicholas Tevin to talk to us about the Ferti Manure 
project, uh, which is uh, looking at European NMP or nutrient management planning strategies uh, with an emphasis on anaerobic digestion as well. So do join us for that. And the following week, we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us uh, to speak about Ireland's climate action plan. And uh, we'll we'll tell you more about that in the coming days. Uh, But until next week, thank you again, Jill and Andy. And I want to say a special thanks to Yvonne Maher, who's in the background today, and uh, also to Pat Murphy uh, with his assistance with this series. So we'll see you all next week. Enjoy the weekend and uh, uh, stay safe. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.